You are listening to audio from Genesis Community Church. To find out more, visit us online at genesiscommunity.church. We are continuing this morning in our series uh, that we're calling Word of Life. Jesus has the words of life. And so we're looking specifically at the teachings of Christ uh, each Sunday, uh, pulling out quotes from the Gospels uh, or from other parts of the scriptures where we know Jesus has directly spoken and we're seeking to just learn from him as his disciples. And this morning we're gonna be in Luke chapter nine uh, and starting in verse 23. So uh, we have a, a really big question that we're seeking an answer for this morning and that is no less than what is Christianity? I know we're just, that's kind of a big thing to tackle in only a two-hour sermon. Uh, You caught that. All right. We got one faithful brother right here. He's just signing up for anything. Uh, Set his whole morning aside. Okay. What is Christianity? Um, The reason why I'm saying, you know, that that's kind of the question that we're hoping to get an answer from is I think that's what Jesus is getting at here. In this passage, I I think the whole thing that we call Christianity, what it is to be kind of identified with Christ, to believe in him, um, what is that? What what has Jesus established um, as Christianity? I I think he's going to help us answer that. In fact, I think he's just going to do it and we get to learn from him. So um, before we read our passage um, let me just kind of by way of introducing you to why this, this question matters, why it's important, why maybe some of the answers that might just kind of come up as default aren't really worthy of the question, aren't worthy of what Jesus has established as Christianity, as following him. Um, uh, here's why. Maybe a lot of people would say, you know, if you said, what is Christianity? They would say, well, it's a religion. And, and many of us in this room, the reason you're in this room is because we've been tackling that notion that Christianity is merely a religion. Um, in some aspects, it, yes, it is a religion. It is religious because a religion is a, you know, a set of beliefs about some supernatural being and then some according or some corresponding uh, actions that you would take uh, out of devotion to this being. So that, you know, that's religion. We believe these things about the supernatural world, and so therefore we live like this. We do these things. We commit these works uh, in accordance with that belief. And, and so there is a religious aspect to Christianity. Uh, like, like James says in the book of James, he says this is uh, true or this is perfect religion that we would care for orphans, widows. So that's why we have an adoption ministry in the church. That's a religious thing. It's doing something for God out of belief in God and and who we believe him to be. So religion isn't all bad. Uh, It's actually a really good thing when it's guided properly by the right beliefs about God, right? So we're that we're not going to be one of those churches who is just uh, dumping religion. The Bible doesn't. Jesus doesn't. 
so we're not going to do that like religion is the R word. And we're, oh, man, I'm not religious. Don't peg me as religious. I'm spiritual. Well, you can be as spiritual as you want to be, but if you do nothing about it, if there's no corresponding kind of acts, then James also says your faith is dead. If your faith isn't accompanied by works that are birthed out of your faith, then what is your faith? Is it even real faith? So religion, doing things for God out of your belief in God, is not bad. And, and Christianity does have a religious aspect to it, but it's not only a religion. That's what's important. Christianity is not only a religion. We have beliefs, we have some corresponding acts of devotion or obedience that we believe to be right and necessary if we're going to please God. But the fundamental difference, the fundamental aspect of Christianity that makes it more than just a religion is that we don't believe that those right, necessary acts of devotion or obedience can actually earn the favor of God. Instead, it's by God's grace that we're brought into fellowship with him, not by any good works we would do. It is a gift of God to be reconciled to him. But because we're reconciled to him, we worship him. We live for him. We arrange our lives with good works in keeping with our faith. We have an aspect of religion that is a result of our salvation. It's not the cause of our salvation. So our devotion is necessary because God is worthy of it, not because it makes us worthy of God, right? So if Christianity can't be summed up adequately as a religion, if that doesn't really get to the bottom of it, if that doesn't fully describe what Christianity is, then what is it? And that's what we're hoping Jesus will answer for us, and I know he will. Jesus had a, he had a certain vocabulary that he used to describe what it means to believe in him, to be devoted to him, um, to be what the first century believers came to be called, Christian. And Christian wasn't Jesus's vocabulary, but he had a certain vocabulary that he used to describe that, what, what we came to be known as. He would say, follow me, follow me. This, if you're familiar with Jesus' teachings at all, if you're very familiar with Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and their records of Jesus' life and ministry, the things that he taught, then you, then you would know, that would ring familiar to you, that Jesus says, follow me. He said that to all 12 of his apostles. He said that to people coming, seeking to be his disciples. Follow me. And sometimes they did, and sometimes they didn't. In Luke 9 here, Jesus describes in a very prophetic, in a very vivid way, what it means and what it requires to follow him. And not only that, but he describes what's at stake. In other words, the cost of following him against the cost of not following him. That's what Jesus is going to get at here. So let's read Luke chapter 9, verses 23 through 27. Uh, sorry, 
Well, we'll read 27, but 27 is really introducing you to 28 and the transfiguration where Jesus is on the mountain with uh, Peter and John, and right before their eyes, he is glorified, and they get a glimpse of him in all of his glory, standing with Moses and Elijah, just speaking, uh, and Peter wants to just stay and, you know, live there with the three of them. Uh, But 27 is really introducing us to what's happening after that. So we'll read it, but we're going to be focused on 23 through 26. So here we go. Let's read this out loud, and then we're going to stop and pray again just for some help from the Lord. Luke 9, 23. And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Lord, we uh, have purposed in our hearts this morning to learn from you, from you, Lord. We're trusting that by your Spirit you will minister through us Lord, we want to use our voices, we want to use our ears, we want to use our bodies to minister to one another, but what we're really looking for ultimately, God, is that you personally would teach us this morning, all of us, that by reading the words of Jesus himself and being helped by the Holy Spirit, that we could understand why we exist in a greater, deeper, fuller way than we ever have before as a result of what you teach us here this morning. We realize that what we're asking for is miraculous, that it is really beyond us, it's beyond our power. Uh, we, we don't deserve any of this from you, but because you have adopted us into your family, because you have gifted us the Holy Spirit, sealed us for the day of Jesus Christ, reconciled us to yourself, made us sons and daughters with an inheritance in Christ, that you call us by your own name, we realize, Lord, that this, not because of ourselves, but because of what you've done, does qualify us for learning from you this morning. Being your disciples, sitting at your feet, understanding, being made wise by the teachings of Christ. So we ask for no less than this this morning. We believe this is your will for us. And we ask, believing that you're going to do it. Please do it by the power of your spirit. 
break down walls of resistance that we've built against you. Please, Lord, navigate through our hurts and our doubts so that we could hear from you clearly. We ask in and for the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, so this passage, uh, again, I, I believe is really in a powerful and a very prophetic way, Jesus explaining to his followers what it means to be his followers, explaining to his disciples what it means to be his disciples. And, and in the language that we might use today, explaining to Christians what it means to be Christian. Because, of course, we want to believe and we need to believe that being Christian is about more than just uh, subscribing to some ideas and doing some things with the hope that one day you will be uh, seen as acceptable before God because of the way you lived. Because you did this, you said that, and therefore God now is bound by some promise to save you because you were good enough. You did all the right things. We need to believe, and we do believe, that Christianity is much more than that. It's about something that Christ accomplished and how we live in response to what he accomplished by the power that his own spirit is working within us. And Jesus is describing here what we need to have in our minds and in our hearts, the expectation that we need to have towards God and how we even evaluate our own hearts so that we know we are Christian. So let's, let's kind of go through this now, piece by piece, what Jesus said. He said to all, if anyone would come after me, if anyone would come after me, to come after him means uh, very much like following him to be his disciple, to be obedient to his teaching. You hear what Jesus says about himself about the world, about you, and you believe what he says and you live in accordance with his teaching. That's what it means to come after him. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. To deny yourself means to live not for your own glory, to abandon and live against your own natural desires. Whatever plans we had for making much of ourselves, for arranging our lives around our own comforts, gratifying our own sinful nature, we are to cancel those plans and submit to the way of life that Jesus has set out for us. Deny ourselves. What Jesus knows that his disciples didn't necessarily know that we struggle always to come to grips with is that we, if we're going to live as disciples of Christ, we'll be in a daily rhythm of denying ourselves, saying no to ourselves. That's what that means, saying no to ourselves. So there's the natural desires that we would have apart from God, apart from the work of His Spirit, apart from a desire to glorify, obey, magnify Christ, represent Him in the world. There are those desires that we would have, and they are contrary to what it looks like to follow Christ. So we have to say no to those desires. We have to deny ourselves. 
2 Timothy 2.4, Paul says it like this. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. Well, Jesus is the one who has enlisted us, right? If we're his disciples, then he's our Lord, he's our commander, and we are living in submission to him. Now, if we're going to be soldiers commissioned by Christ, then we live with the aim of pleasing Christ. We're not going to get entangled in other pursuits. And all those other pursuits are what your flesh wants, what your natural desires draw you to. And we're to say no and say yes to our commander, our Lord Jesus. So we're to deny ourselves. Take up his cross daily. He must take up his cross daily. Now, if, if you're kind of, um, it, if you're very churched, then this is very familiar language for you, right? If you've been around Christianity, if you've been around Christians, if you've heard a lot of sermons, then the language of take up your cross or take up your cross daily, as Luke records it, is very familiar language. But once again, I'm going to ask you, I'm going to invite you to disrupt the normal pattern that you have on Sundays of driving here, surviving all the noise from the back seat, uh, finding your seat with your cup of coffee, trying not to be the person who makes the big brown stain, and getting settled in, singing some songs, and then sitting here and listening while one person yells at you, and you try to gather some information out of it that you can make useful during your week. Normal rhythm, right? Now we're going to sing another song, or we're going to take some communion, and then we're going we're to say goodbye, and everybody's going to go their own ways and figure out what's for lunch. I'm asking you right now, with this very familiar language ringing in your ears, take up your cross daily from the mouth of Christ himself, I'm asking you to step outside of your normal rhythm, your routine, your ritual of being here this morning and hear Jesus talking about a cross. But it's not his cross. It's yours. Hear Jesus talking to you about your cross. Take up your cross daily means to live sacrificially on a daily basis. Putting to death your natural desires, willingly being rejected and hated by the world because that's what a cross is all about. It's about one person who has been deemed unworthy of life with the rest of the world being hung up and mocked and shamed for the rest of us to see. Look at what happens when you don't comply. This was the cross of Christ, and he's in a very prophetic way, without having revealed yet that he was going to die in this way. John chapter 12, later on past Luke 9, he does describe the way in which he's going to die. When the Son of Man is lifted up, he will draw people to himself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. But he hadn't yet said that. He hadn't yet explained that. He's speaking, foreshadowing his own death and calling his disciples to follow him even in death on a cross. Take up his cross daily. Now, notice here that Jesus is using this cross-carrying as his metaphor for discipleship. 
cross-carrying is Jesus' metaphor for following him. Not ours, not something we've concocted over centuries. Oh, we're, we're so in tune with the cross of Christ and the theology of it and what it means to believe in him that we believe it's, that Christianity is something like being like Jesus in his death on the cross. No, Jesus himself said to follow him is to be like him crucified. Let Jesus say that to you this morning. Not a preacher, not someone with some good ideas about Christianity. Let Jesus be telling you this morning for you to be his disciple, for you to follow him, for you to walk with him, to obey him, to be devoted to him means your life is going to look something like carrying a cross. Jesus never makes unintentional points. He never throws words around loosely without realizing how we're going to take it. He must take up his cross daily. Oh, my God. Life following you is like being crucified? Oh, no, oh no, 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 no. Whoa, I didn't mean that. I didn't mean it's going to be like dying. I just meant like, you know, try to be like me as much as you can. But, whoa, I mean, don't take the metaphor too far. Jesus isn't casual with this metaphor. He's very intentional, very pointed. In fact, he is, as I said, very prophetic in this moment. Remember, all that Christ suffered, all that he endured, all the false accusations. Are you with me here? Remembering Christ carrying his cross all the betrayal, the mockery, the shame, the beatings, the punches, the whips, the crown of thorns, the carrying his own cross uphill to the place where he would be viciously murdered by the hands of sinners so that sinners could be saved, so that sinners could see the love of God, so that sinners could receive the grace of God, so that the kingdom of God would be firmly established in the world so that the glory of God would be made known to the ends of the earth through the obedience of Christ on a cross in keeping with the will of the Father. Now you take up your cross. You follow me, the Lord says. As a daily act of faith, die every single day to every cause but this one obsessive cause to magnify the glory of the grace of God in Christ. This is our one cause. This is the call of Christ to follow him like he walked uphill carrying a cross. We walk uphill carrying a cross. If we're going to accept Jesus' definition of what it means to be his disciple, Jesus' definition, remember, what it means to follow him, what it means to be Christian, then we are accepting a definition that sounds like radical extremism to most people occupying seats in churches all across this country. It sounds too much. It sounds too far. 
It sounds like going overboard. But this is Jesus defining discipleship. He is the foundation. He's the cornerstone. By him, the rest of the building, the church, takes its line, takes its form. Jesus defines what it means to follow Jesus. Nobody else gets to do that. Amen? No one else has that kind of liberty, that kind of authority to to describe, to define what it means to be his disciple. Only Jesus gets to do that. And here he does it. He says being his disciple means to deny yourself, to take up your cross daily and follow him. We are not called by Jesus to make a large investment of our lives in him. That is not the call. We are not called by Jesus to make him the most important thing in our lives. That is not the call. Now, should we make a large investment of our lives? Yes. Actually, a complete investment. Not just large. Total. Should he be the most important thing in our lives? Well, yes, of course. He should be the only thing in our lives. He should be the thing that is important in our lives. Well, what about my marriage? To the glory of Christ. What about my kids? To the glory of Christ. What about my job? I got to provide for my family. That's important. To the glory of Christ. Let Christ be praised in your marriage, in your family, in your work. Let Christ be praised and no other. All to the glory of Christ. Anything that competes with Jesus for our satisfaction, you understand, as his disciples, anything that competes with your satisfaction in Christ is your enemy. Anything that competes with him for your devotion is your enemy. Anything that competes with Christ for your obedience is your enemy, disciple of Christ. Your enemy. He is all. He just is. To be his disciple means to recognize that, embrace that, believe that, live in accordance with that. He is all, whether we know it or not. Being his disciple means you know it. You know it. You embrace it. Now, we are talking about cross-carrying, and cross-carrying is about cost. It's about cost. Jesus, the reason why he uses this metaphor, this prophetic kind of idea about what was going to happen to him, the level of devotion he had to obey the Father's will, the level of devotion and energy and passion he had to see the Father glorified, his kingdom established in the world, his grace, his glory known to the ends of the earth, the reason why he uses his cross to call you into discipleship is because the cost is total. Total. Not high. Christ died on a cross. He poured himself out completely on a cross. 
And he's calling us to do the same as his disciples, to pour ourselves out completely for his sake, to believe him to the point of total devotion, not large investment, total investment, not some sacrifice, complete sacrifice. That's what it means to be his disciple. What, what's really troubling about Western and American and even Southern American churches is that we've grown so accustomed, so casual to talking about Jesus, going to church, what it means to worship him, what it means to follow him, what it means to believe in him. We've completely lost the tone of cross-carrying. That's a tagline. That's a bumper sticker. That's a sermon point. Not a daily way of life. It feels like death. Dying to our natural desires as we become more and more alive to the glory of living for his glory. We've lost that. We've lost that. And this right here is why American church so often feels so powerless. Feels so powerless. Like someone can just, just mosey into church and Mosey right back out and nothing happened. Nothing changed. Why? Because all we're trying to do is fill chairs with content people. Just content to receive some things. Content to be patted on the back and told how great they are. And Christ is saying, no, die to who you are. Die to who you are. Seek every single day to become more and more like me. Make it your one consuming passion. That's discipleship under Christ. That's knowing who he is and living in according with the truth. That takes a lot of self-denial because there is not a single one of us that was born with a natural desire to live that way. We have to die. We have to die to this world carry that cross up that hill and to the joy of your eternal fellowship with God, die to who you were so that you could be raised with Christ eternal who God made you to be. This is discipleship. He is our Lord. He is our joy. He is our cause. He is our life. And every cost we pay to that end is worth it. Is worth it. If we die in pursuit of him, worth it. I mean, if you just take the Bible at its word, if you take everything Jesus taught, everything his apostles taught, you just take it at face value, it is an obvious conclusion that to die in pursuit of Christ is totally worth it. Totally. That's a given. That's a slam dunk. That's not a half-court shot. Hope it falls and I win the grand prize. It's a layup. Scripturally speaking, if it's worth it to die in pursuit of the glory of Christ and being found in him is worth it, slam dunk. Totally worth it. But you know who's going to tell you it's not worth it? You. You. That's why you got to say, no, 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 nope. Deny. Crucify. Because you're my enemy, self. 
You're my enemy. You're lying to me. You don't want me to believe that the cost of discipleship as Jesus defines it is really worth it. But I know in my heart where the Holy Spirit is helping me and strengthening me, enlightening me to understand God, I know that it is worth it. Jesus himself says so. Verse 24, 25. Let's read it. This is one of those all-encompassing, no-margin-for-interpretation kinds of statements that Jesus makes that make us very uncomfortable in our flesh, but make us very confident in our faith. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? If you live your life seeking to protect your life, you will lose your life. It will be found to have been of no value. This is what Jesus calls perishing in John 3.16. If anyone believes in me, he will not perish but have eternal life. To perish doesn't just mean to die. All of our bodies will die. It means to die having never fulfilled the purpose for which you were created. The glory of God. Magnifying his grace. Dying confidently that you belong to him and will be found in him. And have fellowship with him for eternity. That's not perishing. That's dying and going on to glory. Perishing is... I counted the cost and I filled like felt like it wasn't worth it. So I decided I was going to somehow be related to Jesus. I was going to be around him. I wanted to be associated with him, but I, I didn't feel, as Jesus defines it, that being his disciple was worth it. I chose instead to save my life. But Jesus says, if anyone loses his life, Let's go of his life, abandons his life. Whatever it was that he was born desiring, he says, no, not, not what I was made for. Whatever it was that his flesh tells him he needs to do for his own glory, he says, no, flesh, you're lying to me. I am not God. I won't glorify myself. I'll glorify my creator. Lose your life. For his sake, anyone who follows Christ in such a devoted way that he is letting go of and losing his life, giving it away, letting it be taken away, submitting it to the feet of God, this person is saving his life. Because at the end of the day, Jesus says, if you work so hard, for your own glory, for your own comforts, for your own exaltation, that you gain the whole world, you will lose your soul. And it will not have been worth it. I don't think anybody in this room right now would say, I am living in such a way that I am seeking to gain the whole world. Right? Most of us, yeah, I'm living in such a way to just survive. Just make it another day. Just 
not get divorced, just not beat my children, just not get fired, just not descend into hopelessness. What Jesus is talking about here with gaining the whole world is not that each one of us is trying to. It's that gaining the whole world is the logical end conclusion of living in such a way that you're trying to save your own life all the time. Build your own kingdom. Build your own protective force. Build a life for yourself that feels safe, that feels survivable, that feels happy enough. Jesus is saying, if you, if you take that way of life, self-preservation, self-protection, not faith, risk management. You take that way of life and you lead it out to its most glorious conclusion. What will you have? Gaining the whole world. Loss. Life lost. Soul lost. Forfeited. But if you gain nothing from the world and all you leave with is Christ, you have gained everything. Everything. And this is what a disciple of Christ recognizes, believes, embraces. I would rather have Christ than have the whole world Jesus is so serious about us understanding what it means to be his disciple that he gives this ominous warning in verse 26 to just totally eradicate any doubt about what is at stake here. Verse 26, For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man, that's Jesus, be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. When Jesus comes to make judgments... You're mine, you're not mine. You're my disciple, you're my enemy. You come here into fellowship with me, you go away into eternal punishment. Jesus will come to make judgments, and those who've been ashamed of him, Jesus will be ashamed of them. He will not call them his. A disciple is one who has reached a point of belief in Christ that our joy, our satisfaction, our delight, our aim, our obsession, our passion is all directed at him. All directed at him. So that when the world says, what is your satisfaction? We say, Christ alone. When the world says, what is your joy? What's your purpose? What's your meaning in life? We say, Christ alone. And those who have some other answer will lose their lives. You understand what's at stake here? Understand what Jesus is saying. This is not a game. This is not a joke. This is not just a religion. This is not a hobby. This is not your weekend. This is about eternity with or without Christ. Do you believe in him? Do you love him? Is he your satisfaction, your joy, your delight, your purpose? Is he your all? If not, I'm afraid. 
I'm afraid that you'll be lost. I'm afraid that you will lose. Christ will say, I don't know you. I don't know you. But here's the other side of that coin, the other side of that warning. If I ask you, is Christ your delight? Do you know that all of your hope is in him? Do you know that you can't save yourself? You're a sinner in need of grace, and that grace is found in Christ. Turn to him in faith. Repent. You say, yes, that's my life. I love him. I need him. I want his glory more than I want anything. I want to be poured out like a drink offering that others might know him. Then the other side of this warning is you can be so boldly confident that you belong to him that you become impenetrable. You become invincible. There is no threat. There's no accusation. There's no circumstance that could attack you that would make you believe you will not be found in him. That your eternity is not secure. You can live with absolute abandonment of all other cause and know for sure that your life is worth it, even if you die in pursuit of it. That is living. That is living, friends. Nothing else is living. Now, Jesus, what he's describing here is not some person who had it in their heart, this great desire to believe in Christ, to be his disciple, to repent of their sin, turn to him in faith, be reconciled to God, believing the gospel, and then somehow be rejected by Christ because in a moment of weakness, they didn't claim him. That is not what Jesus is describing. Because we know a really famous person who did exactly that, don't we? The Apostle Peter. We know that even as the book of Jude says, we are to have mercy on those who doubt. Why? Because God does. God has mercy on those who doubt. But listen, if the Holy Spirit's inside of you because you're Jesus' disciple, then you know what Jesus is saying is true. You know what he's saying is true. You know he's worth it. You know any cost is worth it. You know anything that you might receive apart from him, not worth it. You know that he will come and make judgments and that you will be found in him because your faith is in him. You know that seeking to live in a way to preserve and protect and manage the risk of living will not result in any gain, but that abandonment of all other causes and adoption of the one cause of glorifying Christ is absolutely worth it. You know these things. You know that what Jesus is saying is true. And you may struggle in some moments because you're still growing, You're still growing. You're still learning how to be confident, be bold, be full of the Spirit, walk closely with Him. You're still learning. But you know that you're learning. You know that you're growing. You have to know that. 
And if I can, just with Christ, if I can just come behind Christ here and make a final statement about this to you as a, an, in the form of a goal, a purpose, a goal, something that we're striving towards from, from this moment forward, let me offer you this. That though you may be doubtful in moments, though you may struggle at times to be unashamed to identify with Christ completely, to step out boldly, to make his glory, his grace, his wisdom, his, his renown known to the world around you. Though you may be struggling, if you are his disciple, you will not be content with your current level of Christ-likeness in discipleship. You won't be content. You'll be satisfied that God loves you, that, that God does not reject you. You belong to him. He's pleased with you because you're covered in the righteousness of Christ. You've been accepted by him completely. Your fate is not in doubt. You're his son. You're his daughter. He'll never change his mind. You're content with that knowledge, but your level of Christ-likeness, your level of devotion, your level of willingness to bear a cross, to suffer, even die, to deny yourself for the sake of following him, being like him, representing him in the world, you're not satisfied right now that you've arrived in some great place. You're not satisfied yet. You want more. You want to grow more. You want to speak more about him. You want to know more about him. You want to enjoy him more. A more faithful witness. A disciple who draws closer to him. You want that if you're truly his disciple. The goal here this morning and moving here from this moment is that we would all together Embrace this. Embrace this goal. Together. Spur one another on. Encourage each other. Build each other up in our faith. See each other as disciples who have all abandoned any other hope, any other cause, any other joy. Abandon all of it. And all of us are looking to Christ together. And when some of us, our gaze falls We say, hey, 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 whoa, whoa, bro, sister, look, remember, remember, all of us together following Christ with total devotion, that's our goal. That is Christianity. Total devotion, complete investment in only Christ. This is all of life. This is is Christianity. Don't let some religious used car salesman teacher sell you some piece of garbage hoopty version of what Jesus is, who he calls you to be, what discipleship under him really means. Don't let them sell you some raggedy, rusty, creaky version of what it means to be his disciple, except only what Jesus offers you. Nothing less. Don't be satisfied with anything less. Just 
casual relationship to Christ when I have time. He's my favorite, most important hobby. Please, please, don't let them sell you this. Don't buy it. It's not worth any cost. The cost is low. It's not worth it. Instead, give your whole life for what Jesus calls you to. Absolutely worth it. You will never regret it. Never. We got to get there together, though, and we got to get there by the power of the Holy Spirit. So let's pray together for those things. Lord, we see here that you have called us to something that is alarming, scary to the flesh, intimidating to the flesh, in total disagreement with our natural desires. We, we see here, Lord, that you have called us to follow you and that following you will require the power of the Holy Spirit. What we're asking you for this morning, Lord, is that you would, by the power of your Spirit working in us, strengthen us. Strengthen our resolve, our belief, our devotion to truly, in every sense, eyes wide open, knowing exactly what we're signing up for, cross-bearing, dying to ourselves, dying to the world and what it has to offer, denying our natural desires, seeking only you, finding life and joy and satisfaction in only you, We want that, Lord. We want that. We want to be your disciples. We want to follow you as you defined it, as you're seeking to work in us. We want it, Lord. So can we please express to you, Lord, this morning, as failing, as limited as it is, even after hearing your own words, I know that in our hearts we're, we're limited that we probably really don't even understand what we've just said and heard. The level of sacrifice, the level of devotion, the level of prayer, the level of trust, the level of character and endurance and hope in you that is required for living the way we're asking you to help us live. We probably really don't even understand it yet. Yet, Lord, we are here we are at the bottom of a page with everything Jesus says, we're signing our names. We want it. We want everything that you want for us. Help us even now in this moment, Holy Spirit, to just sign up for discipleship. to come behind you and follow you wholeheartedly.
whatever that requires, even though we see you up ahead of us and, and you died a gruesome death rejected by the world, Lord. Even though we see the cost and it is intimidating and it is scary, help us, Lord, to sign up Now, as you are continuing to seek the Lord about this and, and learn from the Holy Spirit about being a disciple of Christ, if I can, just come alongside and, and maybe speak a word over you, beside you, I know because, I, because I'm a person too. I know that there is a bit of a collision that might be happening in your heart. A collision. To some degree. For some of us, it may feel like we're in an absolute moment of crisis. That we see... Jesus' call of discipleship, we can sense that the Holy Spirit is, is coming careening towards us and, and he's wanting and he's willing and he's passionate and he's powerful and he wants to conform us. He wants to bring us into discipleship as Christ defines it, that we would abandon all other hopes and causes that we would let go of our lives, the illusion of control, this self-preservation and risk management, and just simply devote ourselves completely to Christ. For some of us, this may feel like it's about to be two 18-wheelers head-on crashing into each other. Wreckage and carnage. Because we've worked really hard at not having to let go of our lives. And for those of you really struggling, really doubting, really scared to let go and, and submit to this work of the Holy Spirit, this call from Christ, I just want to remind you what Jesus says. Hanging on to your life, you'll regret it. Letting go of it will be worth it. Do you believe that Jesus was right? If you do, then make a decision. Be his disciple. Believe what he says and live in accordance with those beliefs, whatever the cost, starting today. To some degree or another, this is all of us. Let's continue to seek from the Spirit as we 
move forward as we remember everything that Christ has done for us to make this moment even possible. Let's remember together. Lord, help us. Move on us. Change us. Strengthen us. To the glory of your name, we ask. Amen.